Good morning. <clears throat> oh, again, sorry, my voice uh, turning a little on me there. Maybe singing didn't have orange juice or something I'm supposed to drink. Um, let me welcome you again. For those of you visiting, my name is Nate. Um, I'm uh, the pastor here at Christ Church. It's good to be worshiping with you. Uh, we've got a lot of people traveling out of town, but uh, the Lord is just delighted for us to come and sing and uh uh, hear the promises of the gospel, uh, to look at his word together. This is kind of the end of our this chunk of Genesis. We've been looking at Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11. We're going to dip into chapter 12 today. And, um, and then uh, uh, Christmas Eve, I'm going to do a kind of little summary thing on Genesis. And then uh, starting January, we're going to return to our study of Luke. So Last January, we looked at the Galilean ministry of Jesus and Luke. Now we're going to look at his journey to Jerusalem, where he walks uh, with his disciples toward Jerusalem, increasing hostility, and he's kind of training them as he walks towards the cross. So we're going to look at that between uh, kind of uh, January and Easter. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Genesis chapter 11, or the, the text is is printed for you in the bulletin. We've got one more genealogy to, for me to try to read through. And, uh, but we're mostly going to be looking at the call of Abraham. So those are the three verses that are in chapter 12. That's mostly what we're going to spend uh, our time looking at. So uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, this is God's word. <clears throat> These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad, Two years after the flood, and Shem lived, uh, lived after he fathered Arpachshad uh, 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had <clears throat> lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived uh, after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Aber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Aber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Aber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, and Aber lived after he fathered Peleg 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu, and Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug, and uh, Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor, and Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah, and Nahor lived after he fathered Terah uh, 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this text, and as I just have studied this passage and seeing how much of your goodness, how much of your promises, how much of what you're doing in the Bible is in this text, um, I just uh, pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit to teach us and apply it to our own lives, to our, uh, our, our small church here in Bellingham, um, uh, many uh, thousands of years later, and um, on the other side of the world, and yet your mission, your purposes, uh, have not changed. And so uh, be our teacher now, um, and I pray that you would open up our, our lives and our hearts. And, um, and I know that I, I as, a, uh, as a sinner teaching your word, um, will never do it justice. Um, but would you uh, use your servant nonetheless and forgive my sins, for you know they are many. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, about, I guess it was about four and a half years ago that uh, Sh- Shannon, my wife, and I, we were living in Seattle. Uh, I was going to the University of Washington. I was in graduate school, and I was feeling like God was calling me to plant a church. And uh, we uh, packed up our truck, drove across the country uh, to St. Louis to go to seminary for three years. And uh, one of the things that happened in the first year of seminary, uh, there was, there's kind of this core course that, you, that everyone takes in seminary when you first get there. First class called Covenant Theology is about the Bible, about theology, about philosophy. In this class, um, I, I wasn't expecting this, but uh, really transformed my life uh, deeply. And especially there were a few lectures that totally changed for me what it meant that for me to be a Christian. What did that mean that I was a Christian, that I had given my life to Jesus and to follow Jesus? What did that mean? And of those, especially those key lectures, the one that was the most important was about this text, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the call of Abraham, which radically changed me. And in fact, uh, much of the reason that we've started this church, much that many of the, uh, the reasons that this church is the way that it is, many of the things that we value as a church, that, we, uh, that me as a leader, as a pastor, that I value... Uh, are right here uh, in Genesis. And the reason this passage is, um, I think, powerful, uh, significant, is because it answers the question, why did God save me? Why did, you know, why did God, uh, um, you know, come after me? Uh, What was God after in my life? What was God after in your life? You know, with all the orchestrating, with all the turns that have happened in your life, um, with all the, the hard trials that have come, with all the people that have, come, that have come and that have shaped your life and that you weren't even looking for and the beliefs that you now have that you never thought you would believe and now you believe, what is God pursuing? What is he after? And, uh, well, here you have uh, the beginning of the story of Abraham. And actually, we're going to be, uh, next fall, we'll, we'll look in detail at the life of Abraham as we continue Genesis uh, next uh, September. Here you have the call of Abraham. And we know from uh, Joshua that actually Abraham was living in Mesopotamia. He was an idol worshiper. Uh, he was not pursuing God. He worshiped idols. He was uh, um, doing what everyone else is doing. There's nothing particularly special about Abraham. And yet for some reason God chose Abraham. 
And you can even see that kind of, uh, that genealogy I read, you know, all these names. There's this kind of, uh, as, as the human population is growing, there's this one line that God kind of chose and followed all the way down to Abraham. Is, even before Abraham was born, God was uh, pursuing him and had a plan for him and had, and had chosen him. And, um, and what the Lord says to Abraham is he says this, go from your country, this is, Chapter 12, verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. This is, um, a, this is Abraham's conversion. This is the, the changing of his life uh, from worshiping idols, just being another guy down in Mesopotamia, and God is totally reorienting his life around the Lord and the promises of the Lord. And in verse 2, we hear God tell him why. This is why God is doing this with Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. There's the reason. God has chosen and saved Abraham not just for the sake of Abraham. It's not just because he loves Abraham, but because he loves the world. He says, in you, all the families of the earth are going to find blessing." And what, one of the things for us to internalize as a, as a little church, uh, uh, starting up, what, and uh, as we're pursuing God, why, why is God bringing this congregation together? Why is God working in our lives? Why is God answering our prayers? Why is God blessing us? Why is God giving us relationships? It's not just for us. It's not just because God loves us, but it's because God loves Bellingham. It's because God loves the world. And, uh, and for us to understand that that's instrumental is that, that God is through us wanting to extend his blessing to all people. That's what's happening with Abraham. Abraham got to be a special, a special guy, not just for him, but for the sake of all people. And so what I want to do is I kind of I want us to reflect on uh, Abraham's, what God is doing in Abraham's life, what he's doing in our life, kind of under these two headings. Um, and I'm going to um, kind of spend a lot of time on this first one. And I'm going to borrow this uh, saying from our Lord Jesus, uh, that you must lose your life if you want to find it. You must lose your life first if you want to find it. You have to have kind of a loose grip on everything that you think is precious to step into what God has planned for your life. And secondly, uh, to be found by God is to be sent by God. So whenever God uh, pursues one, chooses someone, goes after them, changes their life, it is always with an intention that he has a mission for them. He is going to do something with them, and that's what we see with Abraham, that he's meant to be a blessing. So um, we're going to look at those, kind of, uh, those two truths, two headings, um, as we look at this passage. So first, you must lose your life if you want to find it. Now, um, now of course, I'm, I'm quoting Jesus there. Uh, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And uh, the reason for that is because uh, throughout the New Testament, Abraham, is, he's kind of this paradigm, he's this model for what uh, Paul is referring to him all the time, uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, that Abraham's kind of a model of what is faith, what does walking with God look like? Look at Abraham. And uh, as we look at these words again in verse 1, where it says, uh, The Lord said to Abram, Abraham, Abram's kind of the old name for Abraham, and God gives him a new name. So Abram, go. It's actually, uh, literally, it says, go by yourself. Uh, go by yourself from your uh, country or your land and from your kindred and from your father's house uh, to the land that I will show you. 
So I, there's these kind of three things that he's calling Abraham to leave, to let go of, uh, to walk away from uh, his country, his uh, kindred, and his father's house. So I want to kind of look at each of these three things because then God makes a promise, three promises as well. And I think they kind of correlate with each other that uh, I, um, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. So I want to look at these, first, these three things that God is... Uh, calling Abraham to let go of. The first is this, is calling him to leave his country or his land. Um, and in response, God is going to say, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Now, there's, there's a few reasons why this is a very strange thing to say. Leave your land so that I can make you a great nation. One of the things, first, uh, this, you know, for uh, God, to, the Lord to say to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. This is very unusual in the Old Testament. Uh, the nation that's going to come out of Abraham is always called God's people. And it's, you know, uh, it, it has to do with relationships, family, orient, uh, uh, family relationships. And the nations are always the other nations out there. It's not God's special people, but the nations out there. And so, uh, so when God calls Abraham's people a nation, what he's saying is, of all the nations in the world, I, wanna, I want you to be a great one. I want you to be the influence. Uh, of all these other nations that are around the world, I want them to look to you for influence. I want you to be a world power, basically. And uh, I want you to be the great nation among the nations. And so, um, you know, in the ancient Near East, just as today, you know, where does a nation have its power? Where is its strength? You know, you look at the U.S. Where, I mean, what would the U.S. be without its landmass, without its, all its resources? What kind of, you know, would we be a world power kind of strength without, with all, all these resources? This is a huge part of your strength. And what God is saying, uh, um, and oh, actually, in fact, when, uh, when God tells Abraham to leave his country, he's going to go put him in this little strip of land in Palestine, which is a promised land. Why that little piece of land? Why is that little piece of land so important? Well, where is it? It's at the crossroads of three continents. Uh, Asia, Africa, and Europe are all this crossroads. All of the trade routes between these co- continents go between this piece of land. And what God says is you need this piece of land so that all these uh, trade uh, p- nations are going to be passing through and they're going to see who you are and they're going to be blessed by you. They're going to say, who's your God? Who, you know, you treat the poor so well and there's such just laws. And who are you? You're not like anyone else. And they're so compelled and they're going to find out about who you got it. So the piece of land is so important. And yet God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. But the only way I'm going to do it is by you leaving your place of strength. By you leaving you what you think makes you strong. What makes you think that you're powerful. And um, I think that uh, as we, as, as Abraham's kind of a model for us of what walking with God looks like, you're going to find that that is exactly uh, to, to um, walk into the life that God has for us to serve him is going to mean walking in, uh, really walking into places where we are not strong, uh, you know, where we're not competent. Uh, where we can't just use our intellect, we can't use our wit, we can't use our, how good we are with people, uh, we can't use our skills. God wants that. And he says for, for Abraham to be a blessing to the world, he's going to have to walk away from his place of strength. And so that's kind of uh, the beginning paradigm of wherever you feel like a sense of power and con- confidence, God is saying, I'm going to work through you when you're not in that strength, when you're in your weakness. So that's the first call of Abraham, is to walk away from that. Walk away from his country and his land and his strength. But he goes on, he says, so uh, 
and God's going to be his strength, but he goes on to also say that he's going to have to leave his comfort. Um, you know, he says, uh, go from your country and your kindred. So now, uh, the kindred, you, 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 the kindred's kind of an extended family, uh, your clan, um, and in, especially in an ancient culture, your kindred are going to be the people that you uh, depend on for, you know, food, shelter, clothing, love, every, every kind of comfort, that's, that's your kindred. In fact, we, uh, in this church, you know, we, uh, we've talked a lot about hospitality, hospitality being uh, a key part of, uh, of God's mission that he wants us to be doing, is, is opening our homes. And generally, you know, in our culture, when we think of hospitality, um, and, and this isn't a bad thing, but we generally think of, you know, setting the placemats, um, cooking a special meal, inviting the friends over, uh, you know, bottle of wine, we're hanging out, playing some cards. And, you know, that, that is hospitality. That is opening your home. It's, it's, it, but, but it's kind of entertaining, right? That's kind of what we think of hospitality as. Well, um, in the ancient world, um, hospitality is a much more radical thing. Because in the ancient world, if you were traveling, let's say uh, you, were, you, left, you left your kindred, you left your home, you were kind of a nomad, you were going on a journey or something like that, and, uh, you know, there, weren't, there was a Motel 6 uh, to, to stop in and stay, stay there. You know, you had people's homes who, they were not your family. And you'd have to kind of take the risk to go up to their house and knock on their door and say, hey, listen, I'm traveling, I need a place to stay, I need some food. And uh, so when the early church was uh, exercising hospitality, what that meant was they were taking all the kind of warmth and comfort of their kindred, of their clan, and offering it to people who weren't in their kindred, who weren't part of their clan, and saying, yeah, come uh, have the warmth, have the love, uh, um, have, uh, have the blessings. And so what God is... Uh, um, what God is uh, saying to Abraham when he says, I want you to leave your kindred, I want you to leave that place where you're going to have all that comfort. And, I, and then he says to him, and I will bless you. I want you to leave your kindred, and I will bless you. I will show you hospitality. I want you to go out and go away from your comfort, and I'm the one who's going to provide you comfort. And, you know, that word blessing, uh, the blessing in the Bible, especially in Genesis, it's earthy goodness, that's, you know, blessings in the creation story, Genesis 1. You know, blessing is like vegetables and hugs and uh, warm beds and roasts and potatoes and just like the goodness of God's earth. Like, wow, this is delicious, smells, uh, comfort, warmth, all those things. Physical, earthy. I mean, that's what blessing is. Now, you know, a lot of people read this and they say, oh, you know, you follow God. God's going to bless you. He's going to make you rich and good-looking, and you're going to be popular. Uh, and, you know, wrong. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, you look at, you know, we're following Jesus. Jesus was homeless, uh, was crucified. And, you know, if you think that you're just going to have a nice, comfortable life following God, uh, that's not what you'll get. But one of the promises here is that God says, he's inviting us to say, you're, uh, part of walking with him is stepping out of those places of comfort. Where we, you know, financial security, uh, um, taking risks to follow God. And what he says is that he is going to bless us along the way. You know, I, I mentioned that uh, Shannon and I, we were, when we went to seminary, we were living down in Seattle. Uh, we lived, I don't know if you know what Clyde Hill is. It's part of, next to Medina. It's a very 
wealthy part of Bellevue, and we were living in a little house on this kind of estate, and they had a volleyball court, and we were living right next to our best friends. I was going to the University of Washington. Shannon's uh, parents lived a half mile away. My parents lived in town to kind of help babysit with our two kids. It was very, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to work on my PhD. It's a very comforting life, and God says, called, uh, called us to be church planners. We have to move across the country to misery, as people, Missouri, people call it misery. <laughs> we didn't know what that meant, but, you know, we're moving to misery. We knew Peter was the only person we knew there, and, uh, you know, we pack up our truck, and we go there, and you know what? We're leaving the kindred. I mean, the warmth and all, all the blessings that could be there, you, you're going across the country. And you know what's amazing? You know what we found there? You, the first thing we pull up to our apartment, you know what's waiting for us there? Half dozen guys ready to help us un we don't even know them. Believers, they go to the seminary, there to help us unload our truck, uh, get our stuff uh, moved in. You know, we get plugged into a church, into a, uh, a seminary, into the seminary, all kinds of brothers and sisters, relationships, and God giving a kindred. Provide, that was God's hospitality to us as we're moving across the country to a new place. And, you know, I, we, even, we even had, there was one couple there, they were, uh, they were from St. Louis, and uh, he came from kind of a well-off family, and so they had... Um, their family had these season uh, tickets to the Cardinals. And so they, bring, they brought several games, you know, row one, you know, put your nachos on the dugout of the, of the Cardinals, like, you know, high five to Albert Pujols. Oh, I, I didn't give him a high five. But, uh, but and, and you know what, and you know, we didn't live this extravagant life, but here we are, you know, we're, gra- you know, graduate students with two kids, and God, here's blessing, here's comfort, here's bringing God's people around us. And so what God's saying is you've got to leave your kindred, leave the comfort, and let me be your comfort. That's, that's part of following. That's what he's calling, uh, uh, calling Abraham to. And, of course, Jesus, I've got to read this from Mark 10. Jesus says this exact thing. This is, this is amazing. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life uh, but many who are first will be last and last will be first so we have to leave uh, comfort and find the Lord to be our kindred the Lord to be our clan but the Lord says to Abraham okay leave your strength and I will be your strength leave your comfort I, I'll, be your, I'll be your kindred I'll be your hospitality I'll be your comfort but the Lord, in each of these, he's going kind of deeper towards the center of who Ab- Abram is. And this third thing that he calls him to is, kind of, is the deepest of all. He says this, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house. And his last promise to Abraham is that I will make your name great. Um, now, the culture of the book of Genesis um, was a heavily patriarchal uh, culture, you know, you, I just read that genealogy, right? That uh, uh, Shem fathered Arpachshad, Arpachshad fathered Shelah. You know, the father. Who, whose son are you? Um, what that meant is the center of your identity, the center of what you know. Who were you? Were you somebody in society? Uh, di- did your life matter? Was whose son are you? Who, who, who's your father? And uh, and so um, and, and you know, we don't understand. I, I think on the West Coast, at least, I don't. I don't kind of get this that much. Uh, you know, my parents, they left their, their family in uh, New England 
and kind of that culture. It's like starting over, moving to California in the 60s. And so, you know what, we don't, what, I don't have this sense of like my identity is in my, uh, my, my lineage. But, you know, actually in St. Louis, very different. Uh, you know, people want to know where did you go to high school, uh, what's your last name, you know, what business does your family work for. And your kind of family relationship, you know, that's often going to be the, the, your work that you're going to have. Your vocation, your identity is, is who's your father, your father's house. That's, that's what says that you are somebody. In an ancient culture, that was your name. What's your name that makes you somebody? And so when the Lord says to Abraham, go from your father's house, he's saying, leave your name, leave your identity. Leave the thing that, makes, that you think makes you somebody. And then I will make your name great. I'm going to give you a name. And uh, let me just ask you, um, what is the thing that you, you say, because I have this, because I've done this, then I'm somebody? You know, the, you know just a couple kind of uh, um, uh, diagnostic questions. Uh, you know, what is the thing uh, that um, causes the most anxiety and fear in your life? What is the thing that you're most defensive about when someone challenges you about it? What's the thing that you... you uh, your walls go up when someone brings up for you. Uh, what is the thing that you judge the most and are most critical of in other people? Look at those things, and you're going to find the thing that, that you look at that says, this makes me somebody. Um, you know, whether that's, whether that's uh, parenting, whether that's uh, how many friends you have, your job, uh, your charisma, your wit, your uh, athleticism, whatever it is, this is the thing that makes me somebody. And... Uh, and what, uh, what, at this deepest point, I think that the Lord is telling Abram, leave your father's house. Leave that name, and I will make your name great, the name that I'm going to give you. You know, uh, it's interesting, in Luke 10, there's this passage where Jesus sends out his disciples. It's kind of their first mission. There's 70 or 72 disciples. And, uh, um, and they come back. They've kind of had this great mission. They're, they're preaching the gospel. They're healing people. They're casting out demons. They come back, and they say, Jesus, like, Wow, uh, work that even the demons have to do what we tell them to do. I mean, we have authority um, over the spiritual realm. And, uh, and, you know, it's kind of, they're not saying, you know, wow, Lord, we saw people, uh, people's lives change. We saw people being freed. We saw uh, um, new life happening. We're preaching the gospel. People really believed and they're, they're repenting their sins. They weren't saying that. They're saying, wow, look at our authority. Look at what we have. Look at who we are. And there's this great line that Jesus says to them. Uh, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Do not rejoice in your success, your competence, and who you are, as a, you know, in what you can do. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your name. Your name is written in heaven. And let me just tell you that that's a verse... Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That should be ingrained in your brain. That as you're coming upon uh, whatever it is that, that's challenging, uh, uh, this makes you somebody. Come back to this, that your name is written in heaven. That's your great name. The name that God has given to you before you've done anything. You haven't won that. You haven't won it. It's already waiting for you. And, uh, and that's, what, uh, that's what the Lord is is. is uh, inviting Abraham into here. 
And so here you have him, he says, uh, leave your strength and I will be your strength. Leave your comfort, I will be your comfort. Leave your identity and I will be your identity. That's what he's saying. Now, one of the things, uh, just saying that, the Lord never just tells you to do that. He never just says, uh, okay, leave your strength, uh, leave the things that, uh, he never just tells you to do that. The Lord always does something. And what we also need to get this text is we also need, uh, actually, what we need is Christmas. Um, and what I mean by that is you say, uh, talk about leaving strength, leave, leaving your father's house, leaving your kindred. What, is, what does that little baby in the manger mean? What's that all about? That's the son who is in the comfort of, uh, of his father's house, close to his father, and he, says, and he leaves his father's house and he goes to the manger, and it's for us to be a blessing to us. And so what that means is that our king, our savior, never asks us to do something for him that he hasn't already done for us. He's already left his country. He's left his, his kindred and his father's house for us to come and be a blessing to us. And you know, it's not a kind of thing where it says, oh, you know, Jesus did it for you. Now you've got to do it for him. That's the deal, okay? You know, look at how much, look at how much Jesus did. Now, uh, now you should feel guilty. No, Jesus is inviting you into his life. That's what God does. And he's inviting you into that. And Jesus has already done it for you, uh, uh, not just as an example, but, but to come and get you and to save you. And so, um, we must lose our life if we're going to find it. Um, but now we come to the part of this text uh, that was so new to me as a seminarian. Why? Why, does, why is God going through this whole exchange? Leave your strength and I will be your strength. Leave your comfort and, and I will be your comfort. What is God aiming at? What does he want to do with us? What's the plan with us? Uh, is it just because he loves us he wants us to feel good? Or is there something more to that? And uh, our second point is this. To be found by God is to be sent by God. To be found by God is to be sent. Um, now, in general, in the Bible, let me just get a little... In general... Um, when someone encounters uh, God in the Bible, he always sends them on a mission. He always, uh, uh, you know, Abraham's a perfect example of this. When they encounter God, God has something for them. You know, that's what mission, uh, uh, from the Latin missio, to send. Uh, to send. And, um, and that's particularly true of Abraham, that uh, God says you need to go. And then I will make of you, this is verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and will bless you and will make your name great so that, okay, this is why am I blessing, why am I promising you? So that for this purpose, for this aim, that you will be a blessing. Um, God wants Abraham to be like him. Right? I mean, that's what God does. You know, your food, your job, your family, your kids, your friends, the, the relationships you have, that's blessing from God. Those are gifts from God. And he's just pouring it out all the time. That's what the creation story is, is that God is just giving blessings, and he wants us to be like him. And that's why we depend on him for strength, so that we're, we're people that are, are, are uh, putting out blessings all the time. And so when you ask that question, you know, uh, some of these things of strength, comfort, identity, you see that maybe God is stripping those things, you know, taking you out of places where you feel confident and strong. And not letting you uh, be in a place where you feel common and strong. Uh, taking you out of comfort. Making finances tight. Um, uh, uh, 
you know, pulling you away from family and, and from the comfort of relationships, not being near family, or even putting you in place to say, what am I doing with my life? I don't even know who I am. And maybe all of that is, is because he has a plan to make you into a blessing. And that in all those other things, you wouldn't have been. But he's going to use all those things to shape you so that you will become like him. Actually, that's the promise of the Bible over and over again, is that trials and hardships, they're going away, is to make you like Jesus, is to make you a blessing. And, um, and some of you say, okay, um, you know, okay, God wants me to be a blessing. I, I don't know how to do that. How do, I don't know how to... Uh, be a blessing to who? What does that mean? That's so. That's. Uh, I, I'm just trying. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to raise my family. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm trying to be in church. I. I I'm not the hero of the world. I, I can't save the world, and that's not what it's saying. Of course, you're not the hero. God is the hero. Um, but what that's saying is that when you know, look at this. Look at this text. What What is uh, What does uh, God call Abraham to do? <laughs> There's one word that Abraham is supposed to do. And then you look at all that God's going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to make a great nation of you. Whoever bless you, I'm going to bless. I'm piling it on. And there's one word for Abraham. Just go. Just show up. You just put yourself there and you believe that God's working. Just show up. And you know what? That's what it's going to be for us as a church is, is we just believe that God's working. And so we're going to show up. I'm going to put myself there. And what does that look like? Is it something in this church? It's probably going to be partly something in this church that, you know, uh, if we're going to serve this community, if we're serving one another, there's someone hurting in this church, and you sit and you listen to them and you talk to them, you say, gosh, I don't know how to deal with this, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to change the subject. I'm going to, I'm going to listen and, 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 and try to love this person, and, and, and I'm going to show up. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you personally, I'm, I'm trying, I'll tell you how I'm trying to show up uh, in my life. I'm uh, you know, as a pastor, I'm kind of around church, you know, Christians and people in church all the time. That's a, not a bad thing. I like you all. Um, but in, in trying to put myself or just around people who are not in the church and, and to build relationships outside of the church, uh, I've been starting to play volleyball at, at the Y. They have this pickup volleyball, and I love volleyball. And, you know, I find myself, it's all these people have been playing for years together. They're a lot better than I am. I'm kind of, you know hit it into the net and getting caught in the net and, you know, feeling all awkward. And, and I'm very quiet. All the kind of old insecurities of, uh, you know, when I was maybe 18, I'm feeling coming again. I stand there, don't say anything, very shy. And I'm just telling God I'm going to show up. And maybe there's someone there you want me to have a, build a relationship with. And uh, I'm just going to be there. And I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but that, that's exactly what he says to Abraham is just Go. Just go, and then all these things that I'm piling on that I'm going to do for you. And uh, I'll just close with this. I, 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 Trev sent me a little talk by a guy named Jack Miller um, uh, who was talking about he was a missionary in Uganda. Um, I don't know, maybe in the 70s, 80s or 70s. I'm not sure when. And uh, he was talking about when they were first going, to, uh, he and his wife first went to Uganda. It was very uncomfortable. And there was this uh, point where they got invited to this dinner with the president of Uganda, all these uh, um, uh, government officials, and uh, they remember that they were walking up the lawn, and they were kind of the last people to show up, and there's this table, and everyone's sitting there, and there's only two seats left, and they're the two seats right next to the president. 
So they're like, okay. Uh, and she's like, let's just sit on the lawn. Let's not go sit. I don't want to sit by the, the president. It's intimidating. I don't want to talk to him. And uh, she feels very shy. That we're out of our league. What are we doing here? Uh, we're just missionaries coming into this, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, a nation that's kind of uh, unrested. And, um, and so uh, Jack says to Rosemary's wife, he says, why don't we just pretend that we're sons of God? We should sit by the president. Why don't we just pretend that we're sons of God? That's, that's the call of Abraham, is to show up. Let's just pretend we're sons of God. Let's pretend that our names are written in heaven and our name is immovable. Let's pretend and just walk into the world. And let's be a church that walks into Bellingham pretending we're sons of God and believing that God's at work. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you pile promise on promise on promise. And that you don't just love us, you don't just save us, but you want us to be like you. And that we get to do what you do of bringing blessing. I pray that you'd open our eyes, you'd help us to see opportunities, you'd give us courage. And you know that we come to you in weakness. And uh, we thank you that, you, that uh, Jesus, you uh, left your father's house. You left your kindred in your country to come and be a blessing to us. And indeed, you have been. And so we have every reason to trust you. And so as we, uh, during Christmas, reflect on the incarnation, um, would you transform us and change us and energize us as a church? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.